Good morning and happy, happy Monday. I'm Zach Blackerby, and we're shaking things up this morning. Because joining me for the first hour today, Judge Richard Miner. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. I think we should call this like a Minor Monday. What do minor you Monday sounds great. I think so. I think so. Now we kick Brett out. Yeah, Brett's busy, I think, down at the beach today. He's always at the beach. It always seems that way. <laughs> we asked him last week. It's like, how do you go on vacation all the time? He's like, I don't. And it's like, uh, you do. You do. You go all the time. But good for you. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm just jealous. That's all it is. That is. But, hey. And we've learned his dancing talents. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. He sent us some like video. Uh, I guess I was late Saturday night or maybe Friday night, and it was uh, yeah. He was like hula dancing, and he's like the king of the uh, the resort now. I'm like, good for you, Brett. Absolutely, good for you. He's been practicing here. I didn't realize what he was practicing for. All the hulaing while we were radioing. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Two that things at once. I guess so. I guess so. How are things in the legal world? Things friends? are going great. Okay. Things are going great. Montgomery's good. Yeah. The legislature's out of session. That's good. Uh, everybody can rest easy now. That's good. And, uh, so things are going great. How often do you have to drive up to Montgomery? I'm usually in Montgomery two to three days a week. Okay. And then two days a week working out of my office here in Auburn. Is it when you're home? Is it more just like researching with you know the certain things that you have? Yeah. Going on? Out of my home office, mainly it's it's either researching or. Um, lots of writing and lots of editing. Okay, gotcha. How um, much of because uh, I, I think when people think of like what a judge does, I think they just think you go in and like listen to stuff when you make your decision on the spot. I think that's kind of what TV does anyway. It does, and, and, and there's two different types of judges. So sure. you have your trial judges here in Lee County at the courthouse, and then at the appellate court, the appellate judges. So it's two separate things that we do. Um, at the appellate level, uh, we read and write, mm-hmm. and that, that's what our day consists of. Um, we're reading the transcript of the trial that occurred here in Lee County right. that the court reporter took down, looking at all the exhibits, everything that comes in through the record, um, and then looking at those legal issues that the lawyers have raised on appeal. So you don't really ever interact with like other lawyers or things like that. You just kind of look at what's in front of you and you determine if it was conducted correctly or not. That, that's correct. The only time we actually lay eyes on the lawyers um, is when we have oral argument, if oral arguments are granted in a particular case. How often does that happen? Um, we probably have, oh, golly, maybe 18 a year. Oh, so not so, a lot. So not a lot. Two a month. What, what, determines, what determines that? Um, usually we do oral arguments in all death penalty cases, okay. uh, all death penalty rule 32 cases, which is an, an attack on the appeal itself after um, their first appeal through our court and the Supreme Court. Um, and then those issues that are raised that are uh, first impression legal questions that might arise, Right. that's kind of the guidelines we go by. Okay. Um, but if you if you're sentenced to death, you you're auto, I'm not gonna say automatically, but there's a great chance that that your case will have oral argument before the five judges. So do you vote on that, or is that some other body that says, hey, oral arguments are allowed? The court. That's the court. Okay. The court itself. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It, you know, we, we kind of talked about this similarly with uh, when Bill O'Reilly came on the show last week to talk about his his new book, Killing the Mob, and about how. You know, the mob had been kind of like romanticized by um, Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Do you think that certain crimes have been romanticized now by Hollywood as well? I I, I would say crime in general. Yeah. Um, I think it's put, I called it the CSI effect or law and order, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, 
crimes are not committed and solved and prosecuted within an hour. Yeah. Um, but it sure seems that way on TV. It does. And yeah. so it, it's made a difference with jurors, especially CSI. Um, and so you have to take that into account um, at the trial court level um, when you're trying those cases. But I definitely think it's had an effect. Yeah. We had Jessica Venturi on, Lee County DA, a few weeks ago. And the topic she kind of uh, talked about was a lot of the time she has to, like, almost re-educate a jury because it's like, okay, you can't just get fingerprints from Absolutely. everywhere. Like, fingerprints are very, very difficult. They to, are. You know, she was telling us that, and I didn't realize that. But it's like, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. They are, indeed. And you don't leave DNA on everything that you touch. And there's uh, not some supercomputer that you can, like, scan a hair, and then it, like, scans through every person on the planet. Um, no, but it, it seems like it's getting there. Um, oh, yeah? Not with hair, but blood, um, with the DNA. But but that's part of jury selection mm-hmm. and the voir dire that the lawyers go through. Um, not only is it to gain information from them to make a decision on who you're going to strike off that panel, um, but to educate them a little bit about your case and about what evidence may be and the effects of that. Yeah, I, I just think it's mind-blowing that TV shows like that have impacted the legal process. And just with the whole... You having to tell them like, okay, that's not that's not how it is. You know, once you binge watch till two thirty or three o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning, that's not yeah. how it actually is. Absolutely, it can't be done in an hour. Right, right. I mean, and just kind of the thought of you know somebody being negatively impacted by that stinks. But that's why the appellate court is in that's place and, and and all that to, to to protect people. It is. That's why we're there um, to make sure everyone's rights um, are followed and that the Constitution is enforced. Right. Absolutely. So your history is you were a, you were a district attorney before your career. I was. Position, right? my, my, my career, I consisted of, um, I always said God had a great sense of humor when I left Auburn um, after I graduated and graduated law school. And I was an assistant DA in Tuscaloosa in Jefferson County in the attorney general's office, then St. Clair County, um, where I ultimately became the district attorney for 14 and a half years. Um, so I've always been in the courtroom, right. and that was the biggest change I had when I went to the appellate court in Montgomery. Um, I was no longer in the courtroom every day. I no longer saw people every day. Right. I consistently see three people. That's my staff attorneys. Yeah. Um, maybe um, our security, um, the other judges and their staffs, uh-huh. and that's about it. Um, Do I you would, like that? I mean, you know, it's a change. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to where I like it more. Uh, the one thing I like the most um, as district attorney and even as an assistant district attorney, you're basically on duty 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay. Um, and so my my phone would go off at the most inopportune times. Sure. Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. Um, always, if it was going to ring, it was at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you always had to have your phone nearby. I never realized how much you're attached to your cell phone. Yeah. Um, now, that's no longer an issue. Sure, your family loves that. Um, my, my wife loves that. She's no longer woken up at one, two o'clock in the morning yeah. when I'm leaving, and then she's up for the rest of the night. Um, but it was the biggest change I had to go through. I think I mentioned it last time. Was that solitariness? Mm-hmm. The you know, no phone calls. I didn't have a phone call probably my first two months. Wow. When I was in my office, and, and you know, you just it's just different, right? Um, but the work that we do now, it, it lends itself to that because all we do basically is read and write every day, which my daughter says is the most boring job in the world for her as a seventh grader. Um, <laughs> why would you want to read and write all day, Dad? Sure, um, right. But but that's what we do. Uh-huh. That's cool. We're joined this morning by Judge Richard Minor. We will continue our conversation next. 
You're listening to Auburn Opelika this morning. It is a minor Monday. It's Judge Richard Minor replacing both Brett and Ben this morning. I really, really appreciate it. It's a tough job, I'm telling you. Four strings in, and um, at least we're driving down the field. Well, I, I, I don't really see it as four strings because you're replacing multiple people. So, I, in fact, this may be even more efficient. I'm not sure. It may be. I'm not sure. So, with you being an appellate judge, and whenever whenever a story comes out, what, you know, it, it could be anything, whether it's criminal or, you know, uh, a lawyer swindling money from a client, whatever it may be, do you read those things differently, you know, from your point of view or just a different perspective? I, I think naturally I do. Yeah. If I, if I read it, I may see the headlines. Um, my first instinct and first response is, oh, well, maybe I will see that in 18 months, mm-hmm. 24 months, um, and then move on. Yeah. Um, Does that happen a good bit where you're like, oh, I remember reading about this? I do, but then the problem is, is you, you know, if I, if I saw the headlines or even maybe if I even read a paragraph, um, I don't tend to remember it, mm. you know, two two years later. Um, I, I I do try to stay away from the those stories if I know that you know, that's a case if that person is convicted, um, that's coming to the court. Right. Um, it was worse, I think, as district attorney. Um, because my wife, and at the time, before she died, my mother-in-law, um, assumed that I was supposed to let them know things that were going on um, within the county um, that maybe other people didn't know um, and legally were not supposed to know, but, you know, investigations or grand jury indictments. Oh, God, they wanted an um, inside track on the, info. That inside info. And then when it would hit the press, um, I would get these phone calls or messages. About, why didn't you tell me Why this? didn't I know about this? And um you know, but my my response was, well, you know, um, legally I can't tell you. Uh-huh. I know you're my wife, or especially with my mother-in-law. She was the one. Um, I always got ridiculed about, you know, why why wasn't I made aware of this before? Sure. How funny. How funny. Yeah, I mean that th- that would be. Uh, I mean that would be an interesting perspective to look at it for sure. But I mean, do you get like uh, unsolicited uh, legal questions all the time too? Because I, I know lawyers do that, but I'm sure lawyers like, a judge. Do, um, Judges do, and, and fortunately we have the response, um, or I do, um, with criminal questions is, you know, we can't answer questions that may come before the court. We can talk about legal issues that have been resolved um, or legal principles, but dealing with specific cases, um, if someone asks me a question, um, that pat response is, oh, I'd love to answer your question. Um, I've got the perfect answer for you. Um, but that may come before the court, and, and under our ethical rules, I'm not allowed to answer that. I'm sure people love it when you do that. Yeah, they do. They just think it's a cop-out. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's like I promise I know the answer, but yeah. I, just, I just can't tell you. Uh, you I just know, can't tell do you. Do your inner Brett. <laughs> yes, inner Brett and just but, dance around the question. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, then he's like, but I'm a father first. And it's like, okay, Brett, good for you. That has nothing to do with what we just asked you. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'm going to go to the beach next week. There so. you go. All right, your, uh, your Rush Limbaugh update coming up. Zach Blackerby here with you. And joining me for the first hour today, Judge Richard Miner, filling in for Brett and Ben. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, all right, so news happening over the weekend. I mentioned in the newscast, but... Um, Siegelman getting his uh, getting his law degree back. Is yeah, that the, the state gave him, or the state bar right uh, disciplinary commission um, granted him his law license back, um, which I understand had some conditions on it. And so later in the year, 
um, he will be a practicing attorney. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, he went to uh, federal prison for, for six years and uh, is out now and able to, to practice law. Is that is that a normal thing for our I, state? I, I would say I don't know if normal is the right word. I do know of other um, attorneys that have been convicted of various crimes um, that after they've served their time and completed their conditions that were put on them by the court, um, there is a process whereby you can reapply for your law license. Um, I know some that have gotten it back, mm-hmm. and I know of some that were denied. Sure. Is that a is that a state by state thing based on it, just on your state's bar? It's based it's it's a state by state rule, I would assume. Um, and in Alabama, it's done by the disciplinary commission of the state bar. Um, and I and if I'm I think I'm correct, then I think it has to be approved um, at the level of the Supreme Court. Okay. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that was a pretty big that was a pretty big one when it was happening. It, it sure was. I remember it. <laughs> I, it was. It, yeah. It was the biggest at the time, I think. Uh, probably so. Probably so. Was he governor while all that was happening? That I don't remember. I don't either. I don't think he was. I think he was out of office by the time the actual trial and conviction. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. But, yeah, I, I had forgotten that that was a federal thing. I thought that was a state thing. Yeah, he was prosecuted in federal court, convicted in federal court, and then I believe was sent to a federal prison in either Louisiana or Texas. Okay, that sounds right. Is the uh, is the appellate system different on the federal side? I, I'm, it's different. It, we're structured the same. Okay. So you have the, you know, you have your circuit court here in Lee County, the trial court. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Court of Criminal Appeals. And you have the Alabama Supreme Court. That's kind of the process that a case would flow through. In federal court, um, you have your your district courts. So Alabama has three districts: Southern, Middle, and Northern. Um, Auburn Opelika is in the Middle District, which is out of Montgomery. Okay. Um, so if you're convicted at the trial level in federal court, your appeal goes to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, there's probably 12 or 13 appellate judges. You would get a panel of three of those judges um, to hear your case. They hear cases in Montgomery, Birmingham. Uh, the main office is in Atlanta. Do we vote on those judges? You do not vote. They're appointed by the president and confirmed by the, the U.S. Senate. Got it. Um and then they hear cases in Miami and a couple other places in Florida. So we, we hear about, you know, Trump came into office and then, like, appointed all these judges. Those were the type of judges that he appointed. Right. He appointed the, the uh, U.S. District Court judges. Those are your trial judges. Um, and the appellate judges at the court of various courts of appeals. Got it. Um, I can think of uh, Judge Lyles Burke was on the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals. Um, he was appointed as a federal district judge in Huntsville. Right. Um, we had two former solicitor generals of the attorney general's office in Alabama that were appointed as federal district judges. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, um, I believe, was then appointed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and so, What do those courts do when there's just empty seats? So, so if you had a vacancy right. pending the appointment by the president and confirmation by the Senate, then that seat sits vacant. Um, if there's a backlog... Um, that tends to get, they will have visiting judges from other circuits. Okay. Or maybe a district trial judge may be, I believe, appointed either by the chief judge or someone um, to sit on that one of those panels of three. So sometimes you'll see two circuit judges and maybe a district judge um, that was appointed maybe from Florida or Georgia on the 11th Circuit um, to sit on that specific appeal. It's crazy how many different rules there are and how many like things are constantly going on with the law, and you guys just... 
nail it. Well, I don't know if we always nail it because um, we're fallible just like anyone else. Um, but the system does seem to uh, have its redundancies. Yeah. Um, That's by design, though, right? It is. It is by design to, to, to make sure um, that those conv- – especially on the criminal side yeah. – um, that, that those convictions were proper. Right. Absolutely. It is a minor Monday as Judge Richard Minor joins us this morning right here on Auburn Opelika this morning. I'm getting educated over the break uh, here by Judge Richard Minor about um, all the time it takes to uh, to raise a softball player. Yes. It, it's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> now we've added volleyball, so it's even more. Sure, sure. The the, the price of parenting an athlete. I'm uh, I'm about, I guess what, 13 or 14 years away from that. But hey, it, it, it may happen to me too. Yeah, and it'll start young. They'll start at six. So. Yeah, yeah. No, we were kind of joking. It's like, you know, we've got practice on these days and the other sport practice these other days. And it's like the the length of time, it's like not long enough for you to like be able to go home or go do something. So well, uh, you got you to bring something with you to do because by the time you go home, you spend 20 minutes and it's time to go back. So right. might as well just stay. Might as well just stay and, you know, try to get something done there. But, yeah, with the, the world of being able to work remotely, that may be a good thing. I don't it know. It is. I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. But, yeah, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I know we touched on this briefly um, last time you were in, and if you can't answer this, uh, I, I totally understand. But you know, I, I think the thing that's been probably the most popular case um, locally, I mean, so much so that the HBO kind of, they did a, uh, a documentary on it. But were you able to watch that with the, um, gosh, the, the guy that came in and, like, took a lot of folks yeah, in Opelika's I haven't, money? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard y'all talk about it on the radio. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Um yeah, I was just going to kind of get your thoughts on it, but if you haven't seen it, then that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I guess another, uh, I guess probably the most popular thing that's happened in the last, well, I guess it's been two years now, but the you know, the, the, the Bramlets, you know, the, the, the kid that hit the Bramlets. Now that youthful, youthful offender status has been given to him, I mean, is there any other thing that's going to happen? There's the potential, I guess, that his counsel could file some type of appeal. Um, I can't remember when he, the date that he actually pled. Uh, to that youthful offender or that youthful offender sentence came out. Would have been sometime uh, so early that, April, I guess. Yeah, so so there may be still a little time for him to file an appeal, so I won't say much about it. Um, but but I would say normally when I was district attorney, um, when we had youthful offender cases and there was either an agreement or they were found guilty during that youthful offender trial, um, I don't think as district attorney for 14 years, I don't think I ever had a youthful offender um, case that was appealed. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, mainly, I think people are, or counsel are satisfied when once their client got youthful offender. Um, Is that solely because of the the drastic drop in time? I, I think that's part of it. Um, also, I guess you would, there's always the potential. Um, I've never heard of it done, but I guess if you appealed something and the court reversed it, you start back over. So maybe you undo that youthful offender status. Oh, really? And so then other things would come into play because with youthful offender, everything's sealed. Um, and so I think counsel's probably happy with that outcome. So uh, assuming it all stays put with the youthful offender status, is this just kind of the thing where we will never hear about it again as far as, you know, through the media since it's all kind of... Well, legally, you should never hear it again through the media about what happened because that, that record is sealed. Yeah. Um, now, there's nothing that would prevent either, I guess, the 
the defendant himself from talking about it or telling people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just typically doesn't happen. Sure, sure. And so the the maximum time in Alabama is three years. On a youthful offender sentence, the maximum sentence is three years. Does that vary state by state? or is that it, just does, it does vary rule? state by state, and it varies age by age. Okay. Okay. Um, youthful offender um, in Alabama, like I said, the maximum sentence is anywhere from, I mean, I guess the sentence would be anywhere from a day up to three years. Got it. Um, Got and, it. and that's the limitations on the court. So a lot of those don't make it to you then. But yeah, that's but what I, you're I can't think. I've been in two and a half years, and I can't remember a youthful offender case. Okay. Um, so that's pretty routine. So, yeah. Okay. So it would be rare. Interesting. Got it would it. be rare. Got it. I will. I will say this. Last time, I don't know if it was you or Brett asked about. Um, I don't remember if it was athletics in in cases that we had had, but after I left, um, I remembered a, a case. Um, it was a minor case, a speeding case. Okay. Where the defendant didn't show up in court, and one of my assistants came to me, and this was very unusual, and said, "Hey, do you mind if I try to call him?" Which I knew something was up, um, and it happened to be the offensive coordinator. Um, at that school on the other side of the state. Oh, yeah? Um, and uh, who had just accepted a job at the University of Texas as their offensive coordinator. Got it. Um, and apparently forgot about he had this speeding ticket um, on I-65 or I-59 that ran through St. Clair County. Sure. Um, and I think I think the assistant, D, I think, I think she just wanted to see if she could. She was a huge fan, Alabama fan, <laughs> just if she could she talk, to to talk to him. She wanted to talk to him. And I'm like, hey, you, you know, I, I don't think you'd be able to talk to him, but you do what you need to do. Um, and called the athletic department at the University of Texas, just looked on Google and got uh-huh. the number. Um, and I think they thought she was crazy to begin with. Sure. Um, but when she told them who she was and why she was calling, um, they immediately put her through to Mac Brown's um, executive assistant. Wow. Who, who told her that uh, Mr. Applewhite would be in touch with her within the next 60 seconds. Um, <laughs> and he did. He called the office and. She walked him through the pay online, um, but he had just forgotten about it because sure. he was in that move. And um, so that's funny. So she enjoyed it because she can now say she talked to the former offensive coordinator at Alabama. And sure, she was a huge fan. So now being in touch in the next sixty seconds—that's a pretty quick return. It was a quick return. So I, I decided that that executive assistant of Mac Brown must, when she, when he or she spoke, um, apparently those coaches listened. How funny! So. How funny! Well, I'm sure a lot of people get freaked out whenever, you know, anybody from any level of court calls them. I would think so, and that's why you have to be very careful. You know, normally people are not going to call you about paying tickets or oh, yeah, pay right. us online or pay, you know, over the phone. Um, and I always tell people, if you have any questions whatsoever, hang up and, you know, find the real number to the clerk's office, to the DA's office, to the sheriff's department, and call them directly. Um, never make those kind of payments over the phone. Yeah, I mean, with all the the hacking and, and all mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can get a call from, from anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Or it, yeah. it'll look like it's from anybody. Right. Then it, it, it won't I be. I think the sheriff's department, the IRS, uh, the court system, I think are kind of the top three that the scammers use to try to get people to pay. And then a lot of people uh, get calls about their car warranty. Absolutely. So. And, you know, I wish they'd call about mine. Maybe they could take it. But um, <laughs> it's just amazing that. The ideas they come up with that they think people will spend money on. Yeah. I mean, it, it must work if they're it, still doing absolutely. it. Somebody's falling for it, which That's is it. a shame. Somebody's grandma or granddad's falling for it, and Very I, much I hate so. that. 
I hate that. Zach Blackerby, Judge Richard Miner here with you on the Monday edition of Auburn Opelika this morning. Final segment of this first hour together here with you. Zach Blackerby, Judge Richard Miner joining us this morning. So you do some uh, you do some teaching at the university too, right? I do. When Once I moved to Auburn, um, I had the opportunity um, to teach in the political science department. So last fall, I taught Introduction to Legal Profession, which is part of the Law and Justice major um, at Auburn. Uh, this past semester, in the spring, I taught a legal research and writing class. Cool. Um, and so I'm not teaching anything this summer, which is good for me. Um, <laughs> sure. And so in the fall, I'll be teaching the Introduction to Legal Profession again. What are some um, of the topics covered in that? So with the Introduction to Legal Profession, um, Clint Wilson, a local attorney, um, taught the class I guess the semester before I started teaching, and they decided to to make it a uh, offering each semester. Um, had it set up, and I followed his setup, and I thought it was a great idea. So he teaches it like a first-year law school class, okay. but it's all the first-year law school subjects plus maybe one or two more um, to give the kids a variety. You know, here, here's torts, here's civil procedure, here's criminal law, here's property, here's civil procedure. What is torts? Um, torts, um, civil... Um, actions gotcha. um, that in the criminal law probably would be crimes. You okay. know, assault, somebody hits you, even though that's a crime, it's also a tort. But okay. you can sue them in civil court um, for any damages that you might have received because of um, their actions. Gotcha. Um, so so we kind of go through that because the, the biggest thing I think, um, and, and Clint and I discussed this because um, he came up with it, it's like, look, most of these kids – they don't have anybody in the legal profession that they've ever been around. They, they don't come from homes where their parents are lawyers. Mm-hmm. And the biggest impediment for that first year of law school is um, the language because you're hearing words that you've just never heard before. Yeah. And so you're having to memorize definitions to words um, that had your parents been a lawyer or you'd been you know, around the le- somebody in the legal profession, you may already know those things. Um, so we try to take that away and so that once they start, they've at least got this um, background of knowledge of, okay, when I hear this word, you know, this is what it means and this is, I don't have to spend my time um, trying to memorize definitions. I can really look at the material um, and study the case law itself. No, that sounds very useful. Cause, I mean, my understanding of the way like most pre-law majors work, whether you're doing History, pre-law, or English, or journalism, whatever it is, they're just kind of focused on whatever it takes to prepare you for the LSAT, which has nothing to do with law. It's just more about problem solving and thinking a certain way. It's a gatekeeper. Um, They just put this impediment in front of you um, kind of as a sifting device to to eliminate people from, I guess, going to law school and allowing others in. Yeah. Um, You know, Law school is nothing more than than being able to write, or now I guess type, in a coherent way. Right. Uh, the material that you've learned, um, as I told the students, look, you get one shot. There's one exam at the end of the semester. That's it. Uh huh. Um, there, you know, we, we had no pop quizzes. We don't. We didn't have anything. It's just this one exam at the end of the Whew. the end of the semester, and that's your grade. Uh huh. That's intense. It is. It was very intense. That's intense. Yeah. I mean, and the amount of time these, you know, these folks put into studying for the LSAT, like one of my best friends in college, he studied for the LSAT for like an hour and a half to two hours every day. And then like the month leading up to it, it was like six to eight hours every day studying for this thing. Yeah, kind of like the bar exam. It's intense. You, you treat it. Um, 
because unfortunately that that's one of the things they use and and also that's one of the things that determines scholarship money mm-hmm. um and so if you can you can be toward the the top of that list um that just means more money for for you for school yeah no and it ain't cheap and so. it's not absolutely it's not cheap and it's gotten a lot more expensive um yeah it's than only when I going graduated up. i guess 20 started 25 28 years ago sure so. yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. It's only going to go up. So we will see what happens there. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, oh, for filling in for, for Brett and Ben today. It's been a joy. And, I enjoy uh, it. Glad you, you had me. Of course. Of course. No, I, I would love to would love to do this more often for sure. And maybe, maybe when you come back next time, Brett will be here and can ask you more intelligent legal questions than I can. That's right. Or we can get his wallet out and see how thick it is this time. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. Did, did, you, uh, did you want to hurt me when I called him a weirdo? Because a lot of people did. Uh, about his wallet? No, I just called him a Ben and I called him a weirdo one day for something uh, and like we had people call it up here and apparently people are stopping Brent in public saying like don't tell those tell those guys to quit calling you a weirdo. And I'm like, <laughs> we have called him so much worse things than Absolutely. That. But hey, whatever. That's, whatever. He's got friends. That's uh, it. That's hey, good for Brad for having friends. That's it. Hour number 1 in the book. Stay tuned. Your Fox News is next. Local news at 5 after. We'll talk sports at 10 after as Lindsey Crosby joins us. All that and more coming up right here on Auburn Opelika this morning.